Welcome everyone to this week's episode of the 25 Live. My name is Jim Bernica. My special guest this week is FDNY Deputy Chief Frank Lieb. Uh, he's been there since 1992. He's currently the chair of the FDNY Contamination Reduction Work Group. He's been working for many years on cancer prevention within FDNY, and he also realizes that you know what FDNY does, a lot of other places follow. So he's made sure to make everything that he's been working on available. Um, I'll include the links to that on my webpage. But, uh, you know, we had some great conversation of just everything they're trying to implement and also trying to change the culture. Uh, probably the most hard-nosed firefighters there are. So, uh, but without further ado, I'll stop talking and I'll hand it off to Frank Lieb. All right. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of the 25 Live. I'm here with uh, Frank Lieb, Deputy Chief, uh, FDNY. So, first of all, thanks for taking the time to, to hang out with us today, Frank. Hey, Jim. Thanks for having me. All right. So, you, uh, you've you been a huge advocate for uh, this firefighter cancer world. And uh, I know you've been a big-time player there in your department. And, uh, you know, You've done some great things there uh, working on this. And, and, you know, the nice thing, and we talked about this, you know, before we started, usually whatever uh, departments like yours do or, or the Boston's or the Chicago's, whatever they do, the kind of the rest of the nation falls in line and, and tries to do, you know, uh, not, not copy, but uh, to try to live up to what they're doing as well. So you guys are, are positive role models. So I really do appreciate everything you guys have been doing up there regarding cancer. And Laura knows you've been hit with this really more than anybody else. Yeah. So, um, obviously, um, you know, so we, we recognize nine 11, um, and the, um, the devastating effects that that's had, uh, in regards to cancer with over, with over 200, uh, firefighters now having, died from 9-11 related cancer, but it really goes beyond that. When we look at the national trends and the national data, and even, even the FDNY data since September 11th with, um, uh, with just over 70 firefighters now um, with occupational cancer, and th these are firefighters that have never been exposed to ground zero contaminants. Um, so um, you're right. I, I think when you talk about the, uh, the FDNY, Boston, Chicago, um, L.A., so in, in the, those larger regional departments, so they obviously have to um, do what's right for their membership and uh, keep them safe. But um, many small departments look to the larger departments for the procedures that they do. Um, and I think there's an obligation to the larger departments to lead the way and, and, and be out in the forefront, not just for their members, but for the larger fire service. Well, let, let me ask you this, Frank, because this is, uh, you know, we know you have all the resources in the world, probably really probably more than anybody else. Um, so that, that's a good thing, but probably the, one of the things, and, I, and I'm just guessing here, but one of the things that you'd have to battle is that old school culture. How was, I mean, was that a thing? Is it still a thing? Are you, are you kind of seeing that go away with just the reality of, of all your members being diagnosed, not all of your members, but a lot of them being diagnosed and, and dying from this? So we've certainly um, we've certainly moved the needle. Uh, we, we're doing a lot more than um, than we were a couple of years ago. But the FDNY has long been uh, on the cutting edge and and, uh, and setting standards for uh, you know when it comes to SCBA use and issuance of personal face pieces. 
We have mandatory annual medicals. We have rack units that are located around the city. Um, we have two sets of bunker gear, and we've had two sets of, of gear for, for many, many years. Um, the most recent addition we got was a second set of boots. So the interesting thing, you talk about a larger city, uh, it costs over $10 million to outfit the FDNY in, in boots alone. So when you talk about the enormity of just um, a simple, a simple uh, acquisition as a second set of boots, you, you, know, you see that it's such a, uh, a big undertaking. But we have our annual PPE cleaning, hoods, um, personal gear bags. Every member of the department has their own gear bag. Um, so a decon support unit, we can fax a piece of paper over to a unit and they'd come and get our gear and have it back to us um, cleaned in 24 hours. Uh, you know, so we have the Needham diesel exhaust capture systems. We've had those, you know, since the 1990s. And you think about, you know, diesel exhaust is only a known carcinogen since 2012. Um, so we've, we've been ahead of the curve. In our WMYF um, internal magazine, we have an article from 1974 that speaks about um, separation of, uh, of gear and um, the, the apparatus floor and, and the kitchen areas. So we've had um, many decades of forward thinking members of the department. And so we have a work group now that's been established for about two and a half years. And we're just doing our part to move the needle and push the ball forward. And the major change now, the big difference, is now we have scientific research that backs us up. The great work that all of the different players out there are doing, whether it's the uh, First Responder Center for Excellence, um, whether it's the, you know, the funding that the New York City Fire Foundation is doing, National Fallen Firefighters, the Illinois Fire Service Institute, UL, this, um, you know, NIOSH, there's so many people out there that it, that it, um, the research that we have now it's undeniable. So that helps when we go to get funding. When you think about, you know, what's the life of a, of a firefighter cost? What's the value on that? I mean, NIST did a report. Um, um, actually, it was uh, done by the Rand Corporation for NIST to, to kind of quantify the value of some of their training. And the, the value of a life of a firefighter was between one and $10 million. So you know, Benjamin Franklin was right. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And in fact, it's probably worth a lot more than that. And so it troubles me to talk about the value of a life of a firefighter in dollars and cents. But when you're advocating for funding, that is oftentimes the way you have to approach it because there's a, everybody's fighting for the, for the dollar and there's only a limited amount of resources that a, um, that a municipality has. So you need to be well-armed when you're going to go in there and advocate for your funding. Oh, absolutely. And, I, and I've read that report, the RAND report before, and it, it is pretty significant. And, and I absolutely agree with you that, it, unfortunately, a lot of times it comes down to money. It's not about a person. But if you're able to show, if you spend a little bit of money in prevention, you can actually save some money. And it, it's more of an investment. Um, and that's kind of the, the sales pitch that you end up having to do for your municipality. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly right. And, you know, and also selling it to your um, selling it to your firefighters. And there's a different way you have to sell it to your firefighters. So I, I just want to circle back. You spoke about um, the culture and I never really answered the culture question. But um, so, yeah, we're changing we're changing culture, but it's really more about education. Right. So it, when you educate the members, whatever it is that we educate our, um, our members on. Um, 
the culture follows when we when we when we have the proper education, and that's what we're seeing. When we educate our members, um, we see a change. Now, change isn't overnight. We're a large department, but we definitely see changes in in many of the different things that we're instituting. Nice. Now, a, a lot of this stuff, I always preach that where your department can assist you, a lot of it comes down to personal responsibility. I mean, you, you need you need to actually go take that shower afterwards. You need to change your clothes and wash them at the station. I mean, do you, do you see that personal responsibility uh, with your guys and gals that, that work for you? Yeah, so that is an excellent point. So I, I call that make your own commitment. And um, that's actually the Clean 15 article that I um, that I wrote. That's the title of it. Make your own commitment, because there's so many things that the individual firefighter can do on his own that it doesn't cost anything. Well, you know, washing your hands after, you know, after a run, washing your hands before and after you go to the bathroom. Right. So cross contamination, using using your gear bag, um, you know, so washing your helmet and forget the top of the helmet for a second. Wash the inside of your helmet. We see we see firefighters that have um, precancerous cells on their on their forehead. Um, and I recently ran into one of my good friends and his face was beet red. So I asked him, I said, what's the matter? And he goes, oh, I had some precancerous cells. And where did he have them? Right in the area where the helmet would be. And it's no coincidence because you think about it. When's the last time you thought about cleaning the inside liner of your helmet? And we go to you go to a fire and that just seems to never get cleaned. And then you put that on run after run after run. So I, I told um, a couple of young guys recently, I said, listen, so you, you don't want anybody to see you cleaning your helmet. So cleaning at midnight when nobody sees you and you get it cleaned. <laughs> I said, do whatever it is. So if if being if being clean or being healthy is, is for some reason not um, uh, you know, if it's frowned upon or something, then just do it. Do the things that you need to do to keep yourself safe and healthy. Um, you know, and they, they chuckle, but I know I've had some some leaders um, reach out to me and they, they, they told me that they've seen some of their members cleaning the inside of their helmet. And the boots are the same thing. We don't clean our boots. Um, you know, and cleaning that prevents cross-contamination, even into the apparatus floor of the firehouse. If, if the apparatus, you know, the apparatus floor is a dirty place. Even no matter how much we clean it, it's a dirty place. You come back from a run, whatever it is, even if it's not a fire, we're tracking whatever we were stepping in back into the firehouse. If it is a fire and we're wearing our gear back to the firehouse, we're tracking that into the firehouse. We put on our station wear, our station shoes, and we track that all over the place. Um, and, you know, those are the little things that we can do. Now, we know firefighting is a dirty job. There's no doubt about it. And we can't eliminate all of that. But um, I like to use the term from, you know, from our hazmat training. Alara, as low as reasonably achievable. We're not going to be perfect, but we can be better than we, than we were yesterday. And, and then tomorrow will be even better. Um, instituting, especially some of these real basic common sense um, initiatives that we can uh, that we can easily do, many of them without requiring um, a whole lot of funding. It's perfect. All right. Um, well, thank you for that. Uh, I wanted a real quick comment going back to what you said. Uh, just about 1974 was that you had that first article about the uh, separation of gear in the apparatus bay. That is, that is so forward thinking back then, because really, to me, this cancer stuff didn't come out to kind of the general public until 2006 when the University of Cincinnati did their study. So the fact that you were doing that, you know, talking about this stuff back in the 70s, to me, is pretty significant. 
Yeah, and and it is, and you know, so, um, and that's why it's important. So we're not starting. FDNY is not starting from square one here. We've had, um, like I said, decades of of others that have uh, pushed the ball forward. You know, when we got our, you know, when we got our bunker gear in, in 1994 and the Needham exhaust um, system. So, you know, we've had champions throughout the world, you know, throughout the throughout the process, throughout the generations. And that's that's kind of what you need is you, you, you need individual champions, um, not only in your department, but we need them in individual stations to say to, to kind of lead lead the way and say, this is what we're going to. This is what we're going to do. We're not going to wear bunker gear in the kitchen. We're, we're going to do, um, you know, we're, we're not going to in, in any of the living areas of, of it. So our diesel exhaust capture systems, right, going back to that, um, the sergeant in arms of, of the Uniform Firefighters Association, a firefighter union in New York City, was a staunch advocate, advocate for installing those way ahead of his time. So his name was Dan DeFranco. So these were, when these were installed in every firehouse in New York City, they were accompanied by a plaque dedicating the systems um, to him. So um, a lot of times we've had great cooperation between our unions and, and management, and that has, um, uh, has helped significantly to get, to get the word out, the message out, and to get some of the uh, equipment or supplies that we, that we need. Perfect. Now, you know, you, I talked earlier about how everything that you're doing helps your department, but it also helps all the other departments out there. And so one of the things you did in 2018 was you put together this, this report called the Reduce Your Risk, FDNY's Call to Action for Reducing Occupational Exposure to Fire Ground Contaminants. And again, this was, you know, internal and went to all your firefighters. But the nice thing is you made this available to everybody else out there, too. Do you want to talk about that report that you did? Yeah, so um... – we decided we needed to have we needed to have a, a publication that we could put out. We we do a lot of internal publications, and so our work group we were very familiar with the healthy in healthy out that was put out from the Washington uh, State Fire Council, uh, and that's an excellent publication. And we we knew that some of our members read it. We had seen it in some of our firehouses, and we wanted to have our version and have and have some stories um, of our own and some research in there. Um, so we reached out to some external folks, some of the researchers that that uh, that are in there, um, and some stories of of our own people in there. And we we put together this book, which um, you know we had some we had a lot of different sponsors with it to help us get it to to make that uh, a reality. We're actually in the process of releasing a new version of that, which will will be online when that is done. But um, you know that's where the story of of, of my friend Ed McDonough. Is and his, his wife speaks. Um, she writes. She writes an article in the book. And um, you know, so I was a lieutenant. I was Ed's lieutenant, uh, and he was one of those firefighters that you you certainly wanted him to study because he he was the right guy. He was the guy you wanted to see um, become a boss. He 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 knew the right balance um, to get the job done. Was into training. Was into all the things that you want a good boss to be. And he he knew to look out for the firefighters. So. He really had a, uh, a great sense of that. And, you know, he, he died um, just a couple of weeks after his 49th birthday. And, um, you know, so, you know, powerful story that's in, in the book. Uh, another one of a, another one of the stories in the book was written by um, our chief, Ron Spatafora, who was, uh, you know, who battled illness for, for many years courageously 
And when we asked him to, um, to, write, to write something uh, for our book, he said anything, anything for the brothers and sisters. Um, so Chief Spatafora actually lost his battle the night before we released the book. So our new version is dedicated to him. Wow. Wow, that's that's pretty crazy. Um, no, that that's going to be great. I can't wait for that to come out. That the the new version, um, you know. But you, you guys didn't stop there either. You uh, just late last year released the uh, fifteen tips to minimize risk, and you you alluded to them early earlier. Uh, the clean fifteen. What's uh, what's kind of the story with how you came up with with those, and and what does that entail? Yeah, so the the clean fifteen. That's basically, it's 15, 15 things that a firefighter can do that really don't cost anything to, to implement. And um, so we made a video with it as well. Um, we, um, we teamed up with the First Responder Center for Excellence, and we developed a couple of videos, um, you know, with their, with their help. And they're available actually on, the, um, on their website, the videos, the links to those. In fact, I'll share them with you if you want to share them to your... Uh, to use well, ab- there on absolutely you know, and I'll, I'll put them i'll put them all in print for everybody too right, that'd be great um but it's really sort of clean 15 comes down to all the different things that you can do um you know like using your cba when you're operating it you know whatever the fire is a car fire dumpster fire during overhaul right and because that is the way you protect your your respiratory tract that is the number one way to do that now we know Right. We have to shower as soon as we can get off scene quickly because because of the um, because of the gases that we're absorbing into our bodies. That's a whole nother issue. But we can do an awful lot just by wearing our SCBA. And if you just keep it on a little bit longer each time. And, you know, it's it's difficult during overhaul. I get it. But, you know, the longer we keep it on, the better we're protecting ourselves. And, and that's we have to be mindful of, of that. So, you know. Another thing for us, like I mentioned earlier, everybody has gear bags. So using those gear bags when, you, when you're going from one station to another where you have to bring, uh, you're going to training or whatever it is. So using these gear bags, because that prevents the cross-contamination to home and, and into your car where your family's going to be. You know, and speaking of your family, there's you know, one, one report that was uh, done out of Washington State and... Um, the gentleman was, did it as part of his requirement for the executive fire officer at the National Fire uh, Academy. And his statistics showed that one in 204 children of firefighters in his retrospective study had childhood cancer. That's an unbelievable statistic. So when I joined the fire department, I understood that there was an increased risk to myself Um you know, you could fall through the floor in a, in a building, a collapse, lots of different, lots of different things. Cancer has always been an issue in the fire service. The difference is we get more aggressive cancers now, um, younger, younger in life. So there's a lot of other issues with that. But never did I, did I think I was signing up to, to potentially put my family at a greater risk. So one in 204 is a, a staggering statistic when, when, you, when you think about it. I mean, that is a 27 um, point four times increase. So normally, instead of one in two hundred and four, it's one point seven in ten thousand. Unfortunately, one point seven out of ten thousand children will get some form of cancer. 
so we can do, you know, so a lot of these steps will minimize that cross-contamination that we're, we're talking about. As simple as taking a shower when you, when you're leaving, you know, you, you're just, you're at the firehouse for 24 hours or however long your shift is. Um, and we go, and you're going to go home and you say, well, I, you know what, I want to get to my son or daughter's soccer game. So I'm in a hurry. So I leave and you don't shower. But during that tour, you went to two foods on the two food on the stoves, a car fire. So you had exposure, but we don't we don't recognize that as as needing to shower after that. So shower, leave that contamination at the firehouse, um, and then go home and minimize, reduce the amount of potential contamination that you're bringing home to your family and friends. Um, exactly. You know. Exactly. Yeah. So we mentioned I had, the. Uh, go ahead. Had, sorry. Sorry. No, no, no. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, so just going to mention some of the other basic things. You know, we mentioned um, we mentioned the inside of the um, uh, of the helmet. We mentioned the we mentioned the boots. But another major thing is uh, you know the is your hood, right? Um, so you wore that same hood for those two food on the stoves, and one of them was a Teflon pan. So that, Teflon's no good for you, and all the other stuff that's burning, and we're breathing that in, and your gear's going to smell like that food on the stove probably for the rest of your tour. But we leave that on our neck, and in the in the cold climates, we use it as what? We use it as a neck warmer, it seems, and it's always on our neck. So when we talk about the cancers that firefighters um, in New York City that have had that were not exposed to 9-11, we see that thyroid cancer is the number one cancer that firefighters have. So what we see nationally, um, and Thyroid cancer, in a lot of the other reports, has not been a significant cancer um, threat. But now we're seeing that as the number one cancer in our firefighters. And I just can't help but think how much of that is due to our neck warmer hoods that we're using. And I look at it as predictable is preventable. If we know that we're going to get all these cases of thyroid cancer, and it seems to, 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 um, to very much match the time frame of when we've been wearing hoods, you have to look at that and say, we need to do better and clean our hoods on a, on a regular basis. And, you know, for members in the FDNY, most, most, most of our members have three, four, five hoods. So rotating them out, cleaning them really should not be too much of, a, of an issue. But it comes back to that making your own commitment. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. And we know, too, in that area, that's, that's an area of high absorption. So, I mean, I think jaw angle, 93% more absorbent. We know that goes up every, everybody's heard it now, five degrees, it goes up 400%. So we are really a big sponge and soaking that stuff in when it's around our neck. So, I mean, that's, that's a great point you made there. Are you, have you guys upgraded to the particulate blocking hoods at this point yet? So we're looking into them right now. So we, um, uh, we're doing, we do have some particular blocking hoods that we have to select units that would just win the early stages of, um, of looking at them. So as mentioned earlier, the one thing is um, the FDNY is very conservative when it comes to, um, when it comes to new equipment. We have a, an amazing R&D um, area that evaluates everything. We send it out to the field. We use it at training. We do a thorough in, uh, investigation because the one thing you don't want to do is just because it's the it's the new thing when it, in contamination reduction it doesn't mean it's the right thing so being first to do something doesn't mean you're right um and so we're very conservative and we make sure that we we test we test it and test it and make sure that we don't make that mistake because it could be 
a very costly mistake and the effort and energy to undo a mistake um, is, is very difficult. So whatever that step is, whether it's, you know, whether it's, you know, um, a hood exchange program when it may not be the best option for your department uh, or when or if you're talking about um, some of the clean cab initiatives where the talk about taking the SCBAs out of the, uh, you know, out of the crew cab, there's there's lots of different things that go into all of these decisions. And, you know, some of them are 20 year decisions. If you make, you know, if you make a mistake, it could take a long time to make up for um, for that mistake. Absolutely. Um, one of the things I wanted to touch on, and this is what I, I started to interrupt you earlier on. Um, I talked to Dr. Sarah Janke, uh, and this is a way back when, I think it's one of my earlier podcasts, and we talked about that very same study about our kids. And it is absolutely frightening to to look at those numbers and to think, you know, I, and I'm sure I'm just like you, you can do whatever you want to me. I don't care. I'll, I'll take it on. It's fine. But gosh, leave my kids alone. That's just terrifying. Yeah, I agree. And Dr. Jenke and her folks, the research that they're doing is, is amazing as well. And um, yeah, it's um, and to think about that. And she's from a she's from a, a firefighter family as well. Uh, her, her dad is a uh, uh, retired firefighter. So, um, you know, so another another phenomenal uh, group of people doing research. There's, there's so many. I hate to even I know I mentioned a bunch of them to start the show. And I know I, I, I missed 10 or 15 of them. Um, I should, probably should have wrote a bunch of them down before we started, but uh, there's, we're, we're, we're living in an amazing time in the fire service. The amount of people that, uh, you know, it's like the enlightening, enlightenment era here. The amount of research that we're seeing, whether it's, uh, whether it's cancer, whether it's uh, fire dynamics, uh, there's, there's so much stuff that is, is coming out and really showing that we've been doing a lot of this stuff right for years and showing that we need minor modifications to others. But either way, it's given us the backing um, and support, if, if, especially if we need to go for additional, additional funding, which we can't argue with that. Absolutely. So, you know, you, you just touched on the Clean 15, um, which, I mean, before we even got to there, you already hit a lot of those items. Um, so that, that's, it's a great list. I love it. But you also just released a brand new video that's now available to everybody. You want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. So we spoke of, um, uh, so we, um, there's a 1540 Connection is a company, uh, a non-for-profit out of Boston. And uh, they had uh, approached us about, um, about kind of making it where they use it. It's called three-step detect. And it's kind of knowing when you have a symptom and it's persistent for more than two weeks that you need to act on it, um, right? So that awareness piece was something that we realized in the FDNY that we were, uh, that we were missing. And so we brought them in and they trained uh, some of our trainers and went now it's a, uh, and it's a quick training. It's only about 15 minutes of the eight hour day that our firefighters are getting as part of um, their um, back to basics education day. And um, but it's that awareness piece. And one of the one of the um, pieces in that is a video. So 1540 Connection, the non for profit out of Boston, they trained our firefighters, some of our trainers to train our firefighters. And they get it's only about a 15 minute piece on the awareness. So they use um, three steps, three step detect. So it's knowing that, you know, the first step is realizing that you have a symptom 
And then when it goes for two weeks, you should know that you, you should probably get it checked out. So it's just an awareness of that. And part of that was we made this video with them and it, it uses um, uh, Ed McDonough's widow, Kimberly McDonough, and she speaks about the process and what and um, uh, and what she went through and what Ed went through uh, after he was diagnosed with cancer. And he had symptoms early on that only he would have known that they, that he experienced a change. So it's getting firefighters to recognize earlier that they need to go and see a doctor and get something checked out when they immediately, you know, when they have that subtle, persistent symptom for greater than two weeks, because too often we hear about firefighters being diagnosed later, uh, you know, a later stage cancer when the survival rates drop significantly. So that was a piece that we had recognized that we were missing and our firefighters, part of, part of that training, they see this video um, and we just released that video in, uh, in collaboration uh, with them, with 1540 Connection. So that's an excellent video. Be sure to definitely check that out. No, that's that's pretty significant because I, I think you have a very valid point there. I mean, how many of us, and I know I'm guilty of it before, you you got aches, pains, you got something that doesn't feel right, and you just kind of like, yeah, I'll deal with it, and you, you know, go a couple days or weeks with it and just hope it goes away, and that's that's not necessarily the case with a lot of this stuff. So actually being proactive, maybe you may be able to catch stuff earlier on. Yeah, and hopefully it, it is something minor and it's not anything, but, um, you know, but just getting that checked out. And it, if it is something, it just really increases your chances of survival greatly. Yeah, perfect. Now, you know, I'm looking forward to, and I don't know if you are or not, but, I, you know, the fact that you're coming back here to exotic Beaver Creek, Ohio, later this October uh, for our third health and wellness conference. Uh, that's a little kind of plug there, but uh you're going to be there on October 8th and kind of do some of these talks live in person. Um, it wasn't a really hard sell to get you to Beaver Creek. Do you want to kind of talk about why that is? What kind of kind of relationship you have with my city here? Oh, it's pretty it's uh, it's pretty funny. And actually, my relationship with your city goes back to September 11th um, in 2001. So shortly after. Um, Shortly after the attacks on the Trade Center, uh, one of the elementary schools and one of the teachers there, Joanne Magano, had sent was sending letters out and they addressed it individually to the firehouse I was working in. So when we'd go down to the Trade Center, there were there were plenty of people that sent letters and we would always grab a lot of the, a lot of the firefighters would grab a, a handful of the letters and we'd uh, kind of as therapy. We would um, we would re reply back to them. I, I replied back to hundreds of uh, of kids. Eventually, I just made a kind of a form letter and just wrote a couple of things in it and mailed them off to people. But this, this, um, the, the Beaver Creek elementary school was a little bit different and they, they wrote and said, they're going to adopt us. So they adopted us and constantly sent us, um, and constantly sent us, uh, letters and gifts and different things. And, uh, um, so we formed a relationship with, with the, um, with the school and, so he wasn't a battalion chief at the, at the time, but Dave Young, who's now a battalion chief in Beaver Creek, Ohio, um, I was introduced to him through the school teacher. So we had a relationship then with, with Dave, and he came to New York, and I got to see him. He actually, Dave, Dave responded. I didn't know him at the time, but he came to New York and helped us shortly after September 11th, like many other um, 
fire departments around the country did in our time of need. Um, so I've been friends with Dave ever since. And when we were looking, we were in Sydney, Ohio, doing burns with UL, uh, experiment burns as part of the coordinated attack study. I'm a technical panel member on that. Um, and I was talking to Dave, asking him why he's not coming to visit me in Sydney. And he told me they have some houses that they he might be able to get. So fast forward a couple of months, and then we're in Beaver Creek, Ohio, doing the burns in Beaver Creek. Although I'm hoping in October when I come back, Jim, that it's not going to be 14 degrees like it was um, when we were doing the burns there. No, so, it, it'll probably be 50 or 60 degrees. Yeah, so that'll Something be, like that. That'll 60 be degrees. <laughs> I can handle that. It's the, same, it's the same weather here that it's up there. Yeah, so October is going to be a lot, uh, a lot better there for sure. But, you know, we did on-scene wet decon in Beaver Creek in that 14-degree weather. And, um, you know, the firefighters that got deconned in the morning used their same gear and went into burns in the afternoon. Now, I'm not advocating for doing on-scene decon. Uh, wet decon in 14 degree weather. I would say that you can do it, but I think probably somewhere around the 40 degree temperature, when the temperature is not going to drop below 40 in the next 24 hours, is probably a good time to be doing that. Because again, we talk about the Illinois Fire Service Institute. We talk about, uh, we didn't talk about Kenny Fent, particularly who works for NIOSH, but him, Gavin Horn, and and all the other folks um, in their report, you know, they, they, they on scene wet decon eliminates up to 85% of the contamination. So um, you leave that contamination on scene, why wouldn't you want to do that and leave it there? And then if you want to bag your gear or store it on the outside, then you could do that. But then when we go and wash it at the fire station or wherever we're going to wash it afterwards, we've already left the majority of it there. Again, that goes into that minimizing that cross-contamination and not bringing it back or all over the place like we, like we typically do. Nice. So I'm glad uh, I was actually there in Beaver Creek. Um, I think when you were filming stuff, I was right next to you, not even realizing filming stuff too. Um, but uh, I'm glad to have you back here uh, later on this year. Um, I'll get you out of here uh, with, with my typical 25 questions. So kind of the, and I, I gave you a warning about this, but uh, I got 25 questions laid out. I let you choose your own fate, and uh, these are more just fun, just kind of random questions, not necessarily all business stuff. So with that being said, 1 through 25, what number would you want to start with? Let's start with 2. Everybody picks 2. Everybody picks 2 and 7, I realize. All right, <laughs> this, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Oh, I know there's a, there is uh, definitely a great debate going on on the internet regarding that one. So I'm going to say, yes, it is, because it's always on, so that means it's a Christmas movie. That's right. That and Elf and Scrooged and Home Alone. Probably right. my favorites. <laughs> anyway. uh, all right, pick another number. 22. Okay. What's the craziest or most out-of-character thing you've done? Let's go for 23. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Well, this is good, too. <laughs> because I don't know what I would... Okay, 23. At what age did you become an adult? Uh, I haven't hit that yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm, 50, I'm 51 now. I, I turned 50, uh, you know, so, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, not yet. <laughs> 
I I would probably give an answer, but my wife would say, no, let's no, you're not there yet. Yeah. So I know, you know, um, I know what my wife's answer would be. So um, and I went with that answer. <laughs> All right. Let's do let's do one more good one. Go for it. What are you thinking? Oh, uh, you, you you pick one. All right. I, uh, let me look here. Um, hmm. Let me How see. How about my favorite quote? How about that? You mentioned that earlier. Oh, I did say that. Right? I did say that. Yeah, favorite quote. Yeah, so I'll give you a good one. And this is really for um, for the for the new officer, right? So I have this um, uh, I, I have this in my in my PowerPoint presentation, and I actually got to meet the uh, um, the author of 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 uh, situation situational awareness for emergency response by uh, Richard Gassaway. And um, so in his book. He says, he says this, it's not my job to be popular. It's my job to keep my employees safe. And if they don't like my decisions that ensure their safety, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. They can hate me for the balance of their long and healthy lives. And so I say that's for the new officer, because when you have more time and rank as an officer, um, you recognize that safety and your members' safety and their ability to go home to their family at night is extremely important. And you really calculate the risk that they take based on that. So if you're telling somebody that they should go and take a shower before they clean the tools on the apparatus, because the halogen won't get cancer, but you will. Or when you're protecting them in, um, in any other situation and it's safety related, there's, there should be, um, that, that's where, to me, those are non-negotiables when we talk about safety. And a newer officer who sometimes wants to, he's concentrating on, on maintaining friendships. Um, they don't seem to always grasp that right away. But I've been an officer now for 17 years with eight of them as a, uh, a little over eight as a chief officer. And I've really come to realize that with, when it comes to the safety, you know, they're going to respect you for keeping them safe. And that's really that's really the bottom line. So that is probably in the fire service. That is definitely um, the one quote that I love. Of course, I love to let no man's ghost come back to let them say that training let them down because training is the is the foundation that of the house that that your whole career is built off of. But that other one about safety, I think, is really uh, really a good quote. Perfect. Very nice. Very nicely done. That see now, and you just doing that would have been better than any of the ones I would pick. Right. <laughs> I'd ask you for like unlimited sushi or unlimited tacos. I mean, you know, oh, make unlimited the... sushi every day. Oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. All right. That was well, an easy one. <laughs> oh, all right. let's see. What out about uh, what's something that you tried that you'll never ever try again? I'll get you out on that one. Uh There's a, a couple of different uh, types of fish that I don't even I don't even know what they are. I love I love seafood, but I had a, a fish that was I don't even know what it was, and it wasn't uh, it wasn't it wasn't good. Um, so I, I don't even know the name of it, but we'll leave it on that. That's uh... that's that's funny because <laughs> you know it's ironic because and I think I've said this story before, so I'm sorry if I'm I'm rehashing it, but uh, I was in Sweden. And I was offered a bowl, and I know this is ironic, but I was offered a bowl of Swedish fish. 
and you know as a snack so i i, I ate i picked one and i and i ate it i thought it, it looked it was black so i thought this is like a chocolate fish weird whatever you know different color than what we're used to here in america and uh it was black licorice and it was disgusting and so <laughs> and i was like this well this would never get past customs that's why i've never had it before it was yeah. horrible so, and then when I think of that question too, I, I think about, I instantly go to skydiving because I did that once. It was bad. I mean, I'm still obviously alive, so it wasn't that bad, but yeah, I want to do it again. Yeah. Good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for your time, my friend. Uh, I will, I'm sure I'll talk to you beforehand, but yeah, look well, forward I'll definitely, to I'll see you, you at the uh, NFBA 1585 meeting before uh before that so that's see you at that's, that, uh... that's right you had to pick a different chapter than me but uh whatever at least we'll get a hangout <laughs> so for the for the um listeners that don't know right that is um that will be the new standard for contamination control that the both of us are on and uh so it's a new standard so it's a lot of work especially right now the initial uh the initial setup part but uh it's good stuff i look forward to seeing you there jim Yep, a quality quality time and uh, right outside Boston. So, yes, sir. And uh, and I'm sure your favorite. Uh, I think your Red Sox are playing <laughs> uh, next time we go there in May. Uh, well, I'm a I'm a Met fan, so uh, you know. I knew that. That's okay. <laughs> I'd still go. It's Fenway Park. I mean, I'm a Reds fan, but it's still it's Fenway, and I I can respect that. Oh yeah, no Fenway is um, Fenway is a beautiful park. I've uh, I went there and saw the Mets play there the first time they played in interleague play many years uh, many years that, ago. That's funny because I saw the Reds play there. <laughs> so nice. That's, yeah, it's good. All right. Yep. Well, hey, again, thanks for your time, Frank. I'll uh, I'll see you here soon. Take care. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate it. Have a great day. All right. See ya. Bye.